Timeless Voyager Radio. Self-development radio for the open mind. Interviews with leading edge authors and speakers. Psychic phenomena and the unexplained. UFOs. Extraterrestrial encounters. Government cover-ups. Alternative health care. New technologies. And now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. Hey, I've got a great show coming up for you tonight. My guest is J.W. McGinnis. He is the president of the International Tesla Society. We are going to learn about perhaps one of the most incredible to become probably the most famous scientist ever, certainly an inventor who has not had the recognition he should have had. Welcome to the show, J.W. Uh, Bruce, for having me on the show tonight. It's and it's a society that is named after the greatest inventor of the past 500 years. Right. I don't think any inventor or discoverer of the past 500 years ranks right where Nikola Tesla is. Unfortunately, we've had a, uh, an immense amount of uh, suppression from the time he died in 1943 right up until today. We are constantly being uh, misled and lied to. We have people that are still insinuating that Marconi invented radio, and I'm telling you, he didn't invent radio. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things. Uh, but uh, Nikola Tesla is the man who holds priority in radio. Who says so? The U.S. Supreme Court. You want to win a bet? Next time somebody tells you Marconi invented radio, bet them. You'll win if you put it on Nikola Tesla. But uh, we are an organization that was formed 10 years ago, and it was formed with a nucleus of uh, very interested uh, engineers and physicists and, and experimenters and technologists that had a keen interest in Nikola Tesla and wanted to bring back the fame that this man deserves. Uh, we held a uh, conference uh, in 1984 uh, from that uh, very first conference right up until this year, we have not failed to conduct an international Tesla symposium, and this year is no different. At our symposiums, as well as at our extraordinary science conferences, we bring in the best alternative science technologists in the world to demonstrate their technology. And we go into all fields. We go into the field of medicine. We go into the field of energy production. We go into the field of environment. Uh, there's hardly and scarcely a thing that Nikola Tesla himself didn't uh, get onto. And believe me, when you say uh, to me that uh, this man has been suppressed, you bet he has. But the tide is a turning, and people right. are becoming more and more cognizant of Nikola Tesla. And, and that really makes my job a lot easier. JW. Uh, let's see if we can uh, move this thing as, as quickly as possible. Number one, Nikola Tesla started out in the U.S. working for, I believe it was, Thomas Edison. Is that correct? That's correct. He came to the United States in 1884. A short time after arriving here, he went to work for Thomas Edison. Uh, he came with the highest regard from uh, Edison's uh, uh, facility manager in Paris, France who had the gall to write a letter to uh, Edison extolling Tesla as a man that, like Edison, can change the world. Every uh, time, uh, there isn't a minute of the day that you don't use Tesla technology. Yeah, and then we're going to start with that one real fast. First of all, he came to Edison. Edison was using DC current. 
He actually had hooked up a city, I think it was East Orange, New Jersey, in, uh, in D.C. current. Um, uh, Nikola Tesla walks in and says you should use A.C. Why don't you pick it up from there? Well, it wasn't quite that way, but uh, at any rate, uh, Tesla goes to work for Edison, and when he goes to work for Edison, Edison uh, really made him, um, you know, hang on the line. Wouldn't say for a minute, you know, that you're hired, but he finally put it to uh, Tesla. He said, look, Tesla, you're going to go to work for me. What are you going to do for me? And Tesla said, well, the very first thing that I would do is I would make your DC generator a lot more efficient. When he said that to Edison, that was a real slap in the face because Thomas Edison was very proud of his DC generator. He had about, uh, oh, there were some 20 different uh, DC generators that he had. And then uh, in a uh, retort to uh, Tesla, Edison said, well, if you can do that, I'll give you $50,000. Now, my, before, I just want to interrupt for a second. Now, was J.P. Morgan the person who was funding Edison at that point? Uh, no, he wasn't. Uh, he may have, I, you know, and I can't, uh, you know, say that for sure, but J.P. Morgan was kind of an independent maverick at the time. Uh, he was and did do projects uh, with Edison, but uh, right at that time, 1884, was just a little pre-stage uh, to it. Uh, Edison was a very powerful man financially himself. The money he made on the uh, phonograph alone was enough to, uh, you know, set him and his organization up for life. But then in addition to that, the light bulb, uh, he had no real uh, um, necessity mm -hmm. to uh, rely on J.P. Morgan, although Morgan did invest in some of uh, Edison's uh, uh, ventures. All right. Now, my understanding is that... Uh the uh, AC, of course, that, that, for those of you who are listening, is the type of energy we use now. Why don't you explain to our listeners why it was so much better than DC? Well, uh, one of the big problems that, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a godsend that Tesla came along when he did, because the world was right at the stage now where electricity had been developed uh, far enough where we were starting to uh, implement it. We had uh, used it for drive systems and uh, lighting and so forth. But the problem with uh, direct current is you can't get it anywhere. At that particular time, if you got uh, direct current three to 500 feet, it was a superb job. You couldn't get it any further than that. Now comes Tesla with uh, alternating current and all of his uh, patents and so forth that are connected with it. And uh, he can uh, take electricity and bring it around the world. As a matter of fact, he bet that he could light the World's Fair, the Chicago World's Fair. Well, he not only bet on that, but uh, that's uh, just stepping it up a little bit. That's about nine years down the road. But that is significant because it was at the Chicago World's Fair where Edison and Tesla had their first, uh, let's call it, uh, shootout. Uh, there was a competition between AC and DC and what was going to be used to uh, light the Chicago World's Fair. Well, they had a big contest about it. They called in a panel of uh, recognized experts of the day. This panel was composed of uh, 12 leading uh, engineers and scientists, and the panel was headed by a fellow by the name of Lord Kelvin. Remember him? Well, Lord Kelvin uh, also worked for Edison, so Edison just figured he had the job sacked since Lord Kelvin was demonstrating or uh, leading the panel. Well, uh, Edison tried to uh, get Tesla into some sort of uh, demonstration match, 
and he wanted it to be set up. He wanted it to be uh, kind of private, put it that way. And Tesla kind of saw that uh, he was being ensnared here, and he said, well, okay, I'll tell you what, why don't we have the contest, but if we do it, let's do it in public. So he did do it in public, and there was a large crowd there, and the first man to get out there was Edison. Edison was uh, demonstrating his, uh, his uh, DC. Uh, he started to put load on his uh, systems, and as he added more load and more load, the lights in this arena kept on getting dimmer and dimmer, and when Edison sees this, he backs off and says, my demonstration is complete. From that point, uh, Tesla steps up and tells him to quintuple the power, which they did, and he brings the lights up. From that instant, Lord Kelvin gets up, walks across uh, the room, shakes hands with Edison and says, uh, Mr. Edison, Dr. Tesla has the superior system. And then they selected AC as the power source uh, for the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. But in addition to that, then uh, Edison got a little ticked off about the whole thing. And he says, well, you're going to do that. That's fine. But you're not going to get one light bulb from me. And you know what that meant? It meant that Tesla and Westinghouse had to get together, and they got together, and they made their own light bulb. It was a double filament light bulb, which was uh, distinguishable from the Edison light bulb, and it was much brighter, much better, and uh, they used that at the Chicago World's Fair. At least if Edison would have kept his mouth shut, he would have been able to sell well over a million light bulbs, but he got a little antagonistic about it and then got himself burnt twice the same day. It's my understanding that the whole concept of the radio wave, which uh, Tesla invented, was in order to bring AC energy to the homes uh, free. Well, it wasn't quite that way, Bruce. There were, there were two different... I, this is uh, my second mistake tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, working off of a tower, uh, that much was uh, in common. And working with a ground wave was uh, part of it all. Uh, one of the uh, problems uh, that uh, Marconi had, and I don't want to take anything away from him, he was a talented uh, fellow, but uh, when we got to talk about who did what, you know, I want the people to know just who did it, and it was Tesla. But one of his uh, things was he was working on a uh, double-tuned circuit. In order to really have radio, you've got to have four-tuned circuits, and uh, based on that, uh, from a technical uh, standpoint, is what uh, won the day for Tesla. But in addition to that, uh, Marconi had written himself that uh, he got his idea from radio from a lecture that Tesla had given to the American uh, uh, Society of uh, Electrical uh, Engineers. And uh, Marconi had uh, seen this demonstration. It was a little uh, spark gap technology that uh, Tesla had introduced, and uh, that uh, just uh, invigorated him. And he read all he could and everything that Tesla wrote on it. And then he applied for a patent several months after uh, Tesla was awarded a patent. This year was back in 1900. He, of course, uh, the patent examiners looked at it, and they, uh, they said, well, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Marconi, but uh, Tesla's already done it. Uh, Marconi had a lot of uh, political sway, too, and normally when you are rejected on a patent application, you've got uh, three months to uh, reapply. Well, in this case, uh, he was given something like six months. He reapplies and again is denied. And then he holds off for another three years. Now, there's no way that he should have been able to resubmit, but he did resubmit with some political uh, uh, perfunctionaries that are working somewhere for him. 
but again, for the third time, he was tied down. But all of this time, uh, Marconi, Edison, and a lot of the other uh, uh, people of the day were doing everything to keep Tesla in court. Nobody wanted to pay him his uh, royalties that were due on radio. And uh, because of it, uh, they, they just stretched it from uh, all the way back from 1900 all the way up to 1943 when the Supreme Court finally made a decision, and that was in the early summer of 1943. It takes a long time. It just so happens that Tesla had died just several months before. And what was, what was their decision? Well, their decision uh, was that Tesla held priority in right. radio and not Marconi. Marconi was denied, period. Okay, let's uh, bring Jim on the line, uh, Westlake, Indiana. Jim? No, it's Westlake, Louisiana. Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. That's right. Boy, that's, that's three for three tonight, Louisiana. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I just want to make an observation. Wouldn't it, I'm sure this Tesla was a very sharp guy, but wouldn't it be more fair if you had somebody from, like, the Edison, you know, from his... Hey, that's okay. I, you know, and I, as a matter of fact, I did want to point out some things because I have talked to the people uh, at the Edison Foundation. In fact, I was invited to uh, give a speech there. But uh, just to, uh, you know, uh, I, under, I feel that you, that you must be an Edison fan. I'm not taking anything away from Edison, but I want you to know that Edison had a, uh, a team of engineers that had worked for him. And when they worked, they put something on the table. If he couldn't make money on it, he didn't do anything with it. If he could make money on it, he'd run down and have it patented. Tesla, on the other hand, was a lone eagle. He uh, did everything himself, brought everything up himself, didn't rely on other people to uh, produce his technology. With the exception of the phonograph and the light bulb, I don't know what else. Right. Uh, I Rosella from Santa Barbara, California, you're on the air. Oh, thank you. Of course, I am a fan of Bruce Stevens Holmes because he doesn't pull any punches. He, he tells things as they are, and I'm so grateful for this organization bringing out some truths that I've been very curious about. Uh, it comes to me, I'm a student of the Bible, too, and uh, there's a statement in there that says, uh, there is nothing that is covered that shall not be revealed. I think this is a great time for getting the truth out to this great populace, and I'm indeed grateful for the organization, for Bruce, for the radio, and for the truth. Boy, thanks a lot, Rosella. <laughs> okay, I just had to say it. All Thank right, you. let's take... I appreciate that. Well, you know, Bruce, right on the cover of our latest uh, magazine, it says, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Very right. good. <laughs> okay, thank you for listening. All right, thanks, Rosella. Uh, Dave, Durham, North Carolina. Hi, I just uh, I have a comment and, and a question for, uh, for Bruce. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, I'm really glad to, to hear some, uh, some, some acclaim being given to, uh, to Tesla. I've told people over the years about uh, things that I've read about Tesla and things I've researched. And when I tell them about him being the true father of radio, uh, they, they kind of give me this look like I'm some kind of extremist or cultist or something. Yeah, and that's because, because still to this day, the uh, history books taught in the school systems are perpetuating this, uh, let's not call it a lie, but let's call it a gross exaggeration. Yeah, I, I tell, you know, I... You know, I might add that if you're interested, um, at the International Tesla Society, 
uh, we do have a bookstore here, and uh, one of the books that we have is uh, a, a, a compilation of the Supreme Court rulings. Great. Dave, you had a question. Yeah, yes, I did. Uh, uh, years ago when I was in college, I read a book on Tesla, and I, I believe there was some mention made to the fact that after Tesla had died, that the FBI had seized some of the papers that he yes, had. Yes, that's absolutely correct. They seized 85 trunks of his notes, his experiments, and devices. And amongst those devices were his oscillator. He also had an apparatus that had the ability to attract these positive ions out of the ionosphere. Mm -hmm. uh, there were uh, his death ray, which is really a fantastic story. If you want we're to, gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about that one absolutely tonight. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember uh, he, he testified before Congress about uh, being able to take down aircraft, I believe it was. He took down miles a mountain. <laughs> he could cut him out of the sky 400 miles out there. That's right. Uh -huh. And yeah. when I get a chance, I'll tell you how he, uh, how he was doing that, too. So. Uh -huh. Well, I'd, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to find out more about that. I, last, I think I read somewhere that the papers, the last anyone, anyone knew, that they ended up with NASA or something, and... Well, they kind of disappeared, uh, all the <laughs> documentation and everything. All right, listen, Dave, we're going to have to make some room for some other people, but I really appreciate your call, and please uh, call back, okay? All right, well, thank you very much, and Thanks. thank you for getting the word out on Tesla. All right. Uh, JW, let's, uh, let's hit a few things here. Number one, uh, Tesla wanted to give electricity away, didn't he? Well, you know, I... A lot of people like to think that, but I like to uh, say that uh, the way his system was set up, it would be impossible to really meter it. Uh, here we have a fellow that comes to Colorado Springs in 1899 and works here for nearly a year in preparation for this demonstration of the wireless transmission of electricity. And I'm just going to tell you just quickly right, he how was he was using wa radio waves for this, wasn't he? Uh, no, he wasn't. This was a power That's wave. four for four. I've got a, yeah. a bad night here. <laughs> well, okay, but, uh, well, let, let me tell you, uh, because a lot of people misconstrue that, and people that have tried to duplicate what he was doing were, again, uh, figuring uh, that if they broadcast a, a wave into the ether, uh, they could duplicate what Tesla was doing. But that isn't the way it was done at all. He comes to Colorado Springs, he sets up his magnifying transmitter here in Colorado Springs, and uh, after working on this system for nearly a year and doing a whole lot of other creative uh, science, uh, he's prepared to show the world that he has a new system for the delivery of electricity. Now, remember, this is the man that instituted the AC power uh, grid system him himself. So actually what he's doing is defeating one of his own systems, but he wanted to do it, because he foresaw way back then the danger of these electromagnetic fields. He said there's a better way to do it that would be safe to the human and the environment. So this is what he did. He has this uh, magnifying transmitter set up. It's now almost a year. He's ready to fire it off. He calls in some uh, professional observers. He calls in the press, amongst them the New York Times and uh, several of the other leading uh, newspapers around the country. He uh, goes north of Colorado Springs here, about 25 miles. There's a little town called Palmer Lake. And this is mountainous community, by the way. And just to the west of Palmer Lake, up on one of these foothills, he sets up a bank of 250 50-watt bulbs. Now, he goes back to uh, the uh, magnifying transmitter. He sets it all up once again. He waits till night. And then he fires up the magnifying transmitter, and he injects 100 million volts into the ground plane. 
and immediately there is this beautiful yellow glow on the horizon. Now, the trick is not putting the power into the ground, because electricity, that's where it wants to go anyways. The trick is how do you get it out of the ground? And it was his studies here, these high-altitude studies that he did, that he uh, put together this apparatus that had the ability to pull the positive ions out of what was at that time known as the electrosphere. It could pull these positive ions out in a pencil sequence beam and bring them down to the ground. Now remember, we've just injected the ground with 100 million volts, so we have a pressurized area here. Now we're coming down with these positive ions. We're bringing them into vicinity. Does positive love negative? You bet. Bingo. The circuit is complete. The lights go up, and he made history. Following this, he goes back to uh, New York, where on Long Island, on Shoreham, Long Island, uh, he builds his Wardenclyffe Tower. And as he's uh, constructing it, this was designed to be the first of what was to be a worldwide system for the delivery of power. The interesting thing about this, why you couldn't uh, meter it, is if you did have a meter in a particular place, you would only have to move a couple of inches, and then you could just pull it out from there because the ground itself is charged. It's got pressure in it, so that's why it would be impossible to uh, meter it. Now, he, I'd he, like to... Oh, go ahead. I'd like to say that uh, it would you know, be nice if I could guarantee you that that's what Tesla wanted to do, was to give the power away. Uh, I think he did, but I don't have the historical documentation to back that up. But uh, at any rate, the system was superb, and uh, he, he's heading out. He's going to do it to the world. He uh, shows his plan to J.P. Morgan after running out of money to complete his project. Uh, he was a very wealthy man. He made millions of dollars in his lifetime. And in this case, he was always, you know, reinvesting it in himself, and he runs out of money on this Wardenclyffe project. He goes to J.P. Morgan. He shows him what he's doing. J.P. Morgan looks at it. The, the financial setup, uh, right. Tesla is desperate. J.P. Morgan is going to fund him, but what did J.P. Morgan well, find out? Well, J.P. looked at his plans, and he said, well, gee whiz, Nick, uh, you know, everything looks great here, but... How do we make money? I don't money? see where the meters are. Where are the meters in this system? And Tesla said, well, there are no meters. We give the power to the people. Uh, well, uh, naturally, uh, <laughs> that was a hard one to swallow for uh, J.P. Morgan, who had everybody on hook. You know, he was the major financier of the Niagara Falls project, which developed into the largest power grid in the world. It ran from Niagara Falls west to Chicago and then south to the tip of Florida. He's not about to give that up, but Tesla never took no for an answer. He went back uh, within about uh, two weeks, about 10 days, I guess, to be exact. He lays down a whole uh, stack of technology, and he says, look, JP, forget about those meters. If you join with me, we can start a whole new industrial revolution. It'll make this country a much healthier country, a much more vibrant country. And he introduced them to uh, electric cars, electric airships, heating units, cooling units, and just all sorts of other technology. But J.P. Morgan, being the businessman that he was, and I don't really hold it against him, but, you know, when you got the bird in the hand, it's pretty hard to go for the one in the bush. So in that case, I guess, you know, from uh, a business standpoint, uh, J.P. did the predictable thing. But how much better the world would be if we'd have right. uh, gone with uh, Tesla.
Let's talk about, I, I, I don't mean to talk about the death ray, but frankly, people should understand what this thing was, and most importantly, they should understand that this was part of the information that was taken after his death. Well, I'm glad because this here is a very, very intriguing story. And I've been doing research on Tesla now for over six years, and I just want to tell you, this is uh, how I see it. You see, Nikola Tesla, uh, along with a lot of other uh, leading physicists and engineers in this country, were called in to participate in the Manhattan Project. That's the project that uh, developed the atomic bomb. Now, Tesla, true to character, is a lone wolf. And he was well aware of the atomic bomb, but felt it was a general weapon and didn't think that we should produce something that would uh, kill not only the, uh, the enemy infantry and so forth, but would kill innocent uh, civilians. So Tesla cut off on his own to uh, get something that would be more practical and it would be something that uh, could be dispatched directly at uh, enemy forces. He called it his death ray. And this death ray was a device that he was prepared to demonstrate to uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt on January 7, 1943. And it just so happens that on that day when he's going to uh, do the, the demonstration to Roosevelt, he is found in his suite, dead in bed. Outside his suite uh, were two FBI agents that were standing there. His uh, maid who went in and discovers the body uh, notifies him, and the FBI rushes right into the room, and they started to scarf up everything they could get their hands on, then went and uh, did a, a search throughout the New York City area and everything that had Tesla's name on it was confiscated by the U.S. government and held until long after World War II. All right, we're gonna we'll we'll stop with that for a second. We want to pick up a call before we have to leave here. Okay. Uh, Anne of Goleta, California, you're on the air. Yeah, I I don't know. I saw a movie once with of Tesla's life and his inventions and all. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I vaguely remember it. Something at at the end where he made a mountain disappear. Is that? Am I remembering that correctly? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see that movie. But it sounds, you know, when you're talking mountain, you're talking a little bit about his um, experience here in Colorado Springs and in the movie, The Secret Life of Nikola Tesla. That is brought out, but uh, there was no. Uh, you know, he didn't make any mountains disappear. Unless there's another movie that you saw, but uh, to my uh, recollection and research, I've never found that to be a oh. fact. Okay, I guess I'm not remembering yeah. that. Hey, thanks for your call, Ann. We appreciate okay. it. You um, know, just a little more on that yeah, death Yeah, the death ray. ray. Um, We've got about 10 seconds on that one. Okay. But we'll come back on it. All right. I, w I would just say that uh, one of uh, Tesla's understudies, John von Neumann from Chicago University, went to work on the Manhattan Project, but... Uh, we're going to run out of time, J.W., if we don't get some of these things ahead. We're going to have to drop some of the things we're talking about and get moving. J.W., thanks so much for being on the show. I'm sorry we ran out of time, but, boy, I'll tell you, it's a big subject. Let's do this again. Well, I'll be glad to, and thanks for giving me an opportunity tonight. Thank you all so much. Okay, and have a good one. Bye-bye.